So uh, let me just be brief and, and talk to you a little bit about, about the trade agenda. Obviously, uh, great opportunity for us on the trade agenda this, this year, this session of Congress. Number of bills that we have an opportunity to get across the finish line, many of which were started by former Chairman Camp. The lineup obviously wasn't conducive in the Senate to get it across the finish line. The President hadn't engaged as much as he is engaging uh, lately over the last uh, couple weeks, which is all really good news. But let me just kind of put it all in perspective. And Nancy and Jim, and, and Phil know this, there, there are only four of us on the Ways and Means Committee and only, third, only 28 of us in the House Republican Conference that were here for the last TPA vote. <laughs> and we won by one vote. And I still remember a former colleague of ours crying on the House floor uh, after he voted for TPA because I think he knew that he wasn't going to come back. And he ultimately didn't come back. But he, he voted for it because he thought it was the right thing to do. I was talking to a colleague on the floor last night about, about TPA, and this is classic. This response is classic. He's like, I, I want to vote for it, but, you know, I'm just really concerned about giving the president all this additional authority that he doesn't have today. And, and my Tea Party groups are going crazy about giving this president extra authority. And I looked at him and I said, okay. Did you know that the president has the ability to negotiate a trade agreement today with whomever he wants? Oh, he does? I said, yeah, he absolutely does. Well, I didn't know that. I thought we're giving him some special authority. No, we're not giving him any special authority. We're giving him direction. We're actually giving him our input, our guidance, and we're spelling it out. And in return for that, what we are doing is we're saying to him and to everybody he's negotiating with, we will give you an up or down vote. And why is that important? Well, negotiate a fantasy football league, right? When you're negotiating a fantasy football league or anything else you're gonna negotiate with your friends or with your foes, you're not gonna really put all the cards on the table till you know that this is the final negotiation and this is going to be the deal. Well, nobody's going to negotiate the deal and put all their eggs on the table, or all their cards on the table, excuse me, all their cards on the table. At the end, if they think that it's going to come back to Washington, D.C., and there's going to be 535 of us making changes to what was just negotiated. So we have to also provide some sort of commitment and certainty to the negotiators after we give them all this, all this direction about what we think is important for the confines of an agreement. A lot of our members don't know that yet. And worse than that, their constituents don't know that yet. And worse than that, there are people on the other side who work every day to try to mix that message and say we're giving the president some special authority. And that mixed message comes from the far left, and that mixed message, unfortunately, comes from the far right. Now, are there challenges in trade? Absolutely. I come from Ohio. Ohio is the perfect example of those challenges. Because sometimes 
under the rules of the game today, when you win, you still lose. That's not fair. That's not fair to American companies who are playing by the rules. So we need, we need vigorous enforcement of those rules. And that's a challenge. It's a challenge when the rest of the world views rules differently. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you a funny story from our trip. Uh, Adrian was on this trip, and we were having, I don't know if you remember this little seg segment of our trip, uh, Adrian. The uh, Prime Minister of Malaysia, oh, we could tell stories, couldn't we, Adrian? Uh, we had dinner with him one night, and obviously in Malaysia, they have this, this big issue of the, and I still don't quite understand it, but the ethnic minority, which is a majority in Malaysia, uh, which is considered a minority, which is in charge of the government. The prime minister is part of that ethnic minority. Uh, they represent about 60% of the population. And so they have, they have set-asides. <clears throat> set-asides that we would consider set-asides on steroids for, for the, this ethnic minority that's in charge of the country. And they get uh, certain percentages of contracts including uh, contracts with the government. So we were bringing this issue up of state-owned enterprises and how they have to be a little bit more democratic. Uh, the subsidies have to come down. The prime minister was so happy and pleased to tell us that, oh, they're moving in a capitalist direction in a big way. We represent 60% of the country now, this ethnic minority. And we only require the government to give us 40% of the contracts. <laughs> I mean, he was so proud of that. Uh, we got a long way to go in, in trying to have the rest of the world kind of see the world as we see it. So those trade rules are really, really important. And there's a lot of anxiety in states like Ohio and, and Michigan. Uh, in, in other states that have different types of issues, whether it's the South of textiles or, or North Carolina tobacco, those are issues that, that we still need to, to work through. So this is a challenge. But at the end of the day, the world is moving whether we move or not. The world is trading whether we move or not. In my local paper, the head of the AFL-CIO said, Trade is bad because we have a manufacturing deficit with respect to trade. Well, what he didn't say in the article goes back to the point of fear. With the 20 countries we have trade agreements with, we have a manufacturing surplus. We have a services surplus. We have an agriculture surplus in trade. There's a story to be told here that we're not telling very well. Because I believe Americans compete as long as the rules of the game are fair. And that's a huge issue. We can compete anywhere with anybody. We can't put our heads in the sand. And that's what this debate's all about. The president's begun to show leadership. He's got to show more. There's no question about that. But obviously, the negotiations are continuing to go on between, between Hatch and, and Wyden and, and Ryan. We're going to continue to pound this forward, and this spring we hope to put a TPA bill on the floor, and then ultimately this, this fall, a TPP vote. In between there, we've got a number of other issues. We've got a customer authorizations bill that's very important. 
We have uh, the Senate and the House speaking a little bit differently on on a, a issue of protect versus enforce that we're trying to work through. A go is pretty close. Uh, GSP is pretty close. We we are we are on the verge of having a potentially a really good year. But as you know, this town uh, is uh, pretty difficult these days, and, and nothing's easy. And and we are you know we are set to march into this. But nothing happens without hard work, and we're putting that hard work in now. We have two colleagues uh, who were in the Far East. Maybe you were in the Far East, too. Why I say that is, Adrian was, was uh, on the CODEL that I was on with Chairman Ryan, and I was having breakfast uh, at the... We were having breakfast at the Ambassador's residence in Japan on Thursday morning, last Thursday morning. And I'm sitting next to Devin Nunez, and he said, uh, Holding missed you in the bar last night. I said, Holding? I said, What are you daydreaming? Are you, what, what, you drank too much last night? George Holding? He's like, No, George Holding was in the bar last night in our hotel. Are you kidding me? The man of mystery, George Holding, in the bar at our hotel. Apparently, you were on a different hotel uh, in, in Tokyo. Uh, fascinating place. So uh, there were a lot of people traveling, but we have uh, we have an outstanding committee uh, in, on the Ways and Means Committee. We have three <coughs> great members up here today, and, and I'd like you all all to come up. Let me introduce you in order uh, of seniority, I suppose. Uh, Adrian Smith, who is from the back Nebraska, Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. Anybody been to Scotts Bluff, Nebraska? Anybody heard of? You've been to Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. Two of you. Well, I bet you guys uh, uh, didn't know this. I got to spend, along with seven other members, uh, Adrian's honeymoon with him and his wife. <laughs> I hope she enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, delightful young lady. Uh, he, um, he went to the university, obviously born and bred in, in Nebraska, went to the University of Nebraska, now part of the powerful Big Ten. <laughs> and he uh, started his career in city council, then the Nebraska legislature. He is an adjunct professor at George Washington University, and he is a member of the trade subcommittee. Uh, please welcome the man that agriculture loves, Adrian Smith. To his left from Bakersfield, California, originally. Yes, I said that. Ooh. Bakersfield, California. He's not related to Bill Thomas, he assures us. <laughs> uh, but raised in the Twin Cities. Uh, Eric is a graduate of St. Olaf College. He was a business analyst for Target for 16 years, was in the legislature for 14 years, was elected in 2008 to the Congress representing the seat that many of you might remember was represented so ably by Jim Ramstad. He's on the trade subcommittee. He has, like me, four daughters, and like me, is a Buckeye fan, because he has a Buckeye tree in his yard. <laughs> Not many people probably have seen a Buckeye tree before, but anyone know what a Buckeye is? <laughs> what is it? Well, it's a, it's a tree and a nut. Yes, a killer nut. It's a poisonous killer nut. Uh, last but not least, Big Ema Smith. 
the newest member of our committee, uh, born in, in Raleigh, North Carolina, attended Wake Forest University, uh, graduated with a degree in classics and law. It all makes sense now, George. Uh, he uh, became famous by initiating the prosecution, prosecution of John Edwards during the, the famous uh, campaign finance trial and was uh, U.S. Attorney in North Carolina. Uh, before that, worked for Senator Jesse Helms and was he, he was elected in 2012 and serves on the Ways and Means Committee as well and has a, uh, a great affinity for cigars and scotch whiskey, which has been an added bonus to the committee <laughs> with your joining us. So please welcome these three great members. Have them give a little opening uh, sure. remarks, starting with the most senior member, Mr. Smith. Okay. Well, thank you. It, it's great to be here and uh, to have a dialogue on issues that we know are important. I just came from the Nebraska breakfast. It's a great tradition, uh, hard to miss, uh, especially I, I think my uh, attendance is perfect over my eight plus years. We've got the longest running delegation breakfast in, in Washington in about 72 years. And so, uh, can't miss that. So I, I did leave a little bit early to come over here, but I, I just I boasted to them of uh, why trade is good, and you all know that 95% uh, of the world's customers live outside our border, and, and uh, for me, it's good that everyone needs to eat, and, and our district can uh, capitalize on that. And uh, last week's Codel to, uh, to Asia, I think, was especially productive. And just a lot of reminders that are out there that of, of how many folks are interested in, in what's happening with trade, more specifically TPP. Uh, Japan, we've had some challenges with relating to agriculture. They shut our beef out uh, because they said it was uh, the BSE issue when uh, I think there were more politics sprinkled in with that uh, than, than any concern for uh, uh, disease. And so working through that, they've opened up a little bit, but I see TPP as an opportunity to really uh, specify that uh, games can't be played and that science should, uh, should reign supreme. I don't know if that's my microphone or not. <laughs> uh, anyway, it was very interesting to, to see all of the uh, uh, players in, in trade of the three countries we, we visited was Singapore, Malaysia, and Japan, and how important they see this issue. And, Obviously, uh, Japan has has uh, some work to do to get things leveled out, um, but I, I think they understand how important it is, and that uh, to not continue in the direction in a positive direction, I think, uh, would be very problematic. And I think across America, it, it just the trade is not the issue on on the top of, of folks' minds. Uh, it's not quite as tangible as it is, but when you look at the, the geopolitical impacts. Uh, that trade can happen very positively uh, where commercial partnerships are established uh, political partnerships i think uh, follow suit and, and uh, build stronger relationships more stable relationships and certainly we we do need more of that thank you 
Well, let me also just thank uh, Jim and Ripon for putting this uh, breakfast together and for having all of you who stay engaged and remain engaged with all of us on, on the committee on a variety of issues. Um, I thought I'd just share a few comments real quick on TTIP, because Adrian mentioned TPP. Um, I co-chair the TTIP caucus, and so folks ask, well, why is that important in a state like Minnesota? Why are you engaged in that issue? And it's interesting, a state like Minnesota, um, last year, our exports just for, to Europe or European countries buying our exports was like four and a half million dollars. I mean, it was a pretty big number actually, and 42,200 jobs are tied to European investment. And you know, people think of Europe, our best friends, our best allies. Tariffs and quotas are already pretty reasonable or pretty low. So, does it make a big difference if we focus on this trade agreement? And the answer is yes. Number one. There is so much economic activity between our two economies that even if you move the needle just a little bit, you can have a big impact on jobs, on growing the economy, on helping workers uh, uh, increase their incomes. As an example, 50% of the world's GDP is already flowing between our two economies on the Atlantic and, and with America. 30% uh, of the world's trade is going between our two economies currently. But this agreement with TTIP is more than just addressing quotas and tariffs. It's, it's actually these behind the border initiatives that are really important that needlessly slow down the movement of goods and services. And so it's regulations, it's standards, it's testing certifications, uh, and making sure that we've got commonality and predictability and certainty in all of those different areas. Because number one, if we can able to improve that, those areas and come up with common standards, we'll be able to move goods and services a lot quicker, enhance trade, enhance exports, and then secondly, it's an opportunity for our economies to set the stage and lead for the rest of the world, right? And so the other countries that aren't necessarily following the same rules of intellectual property and the rules of law, like might be China, India, Brazil, growing economies, we want to make sure that if we set these standards high and take it to the next level, that they will be forced to follow. And that's a really important theme that I think is going to emerge going forward. And the TTIP caucus actually is bipartisanly led with Todd Young and uh, Bill Keating and Richie Neal to show that, uh, again, in, in, as an example, Bill Keating has never voted for another trade agreement ever, but he's really a strong believer in moving this TTIP agreement forward. So we want to make sure we're leveraging every opportunity for bipartisanship to move this forward. And I think they're opening the ninth round of negotiations in the near future, so we still have a ways to go um, because TPP is so much farther along its negotiation. But once TPA moves forward, once the TPP comes up later, the momentum will be put in place and will be sound, uh, we believe, because of our common values we enjoy with the Europeans right now. So, you know, labor standards, environmental standards, the traditional issues that come up, especially for Democrats, won't be as big a deal, hopefully, even as we enter an election year. Um, so we're hoping to sustain some of that momentum. And, you know, for a state like mine that has Cargill and Medtronic and um, uh, 3M uh, headquartered there in Hormel. We want to make sure that, uh, again, we're sharing the story and exporting because uh, it is an opportunity to keep our economy growing pretty strong. And 750,000 jobs are tied to trade in some manner in my state, and that's only going to get better. It's a surefire way to grow jobs, and that's the message we're trying to communicate with our colleagues and others. So, thank you. Ah, yes. the. Uh, well, what a great breakfast this morning. I hope everybody had lots of sausage gravy that goes well on fruit. <laughs> the, um, um, 
you know, Pat was alluding to the last time the House voted um, for TPA in 2002, and there are only 28 members in the House um, currently serving who were there at that time. And um, maybe that's not such a bad thing, because uh, a lot of things have changed. Um, North Carolina is a great example of that. Um, you know, North Carolina has a, how shall we say, mixed history on trade. Um, probably one of the reasons why I'm the first Republican in 30 years from North Carolina to be on the Ways and Means Committee. Um, but if there's uh, one district in North Carolina that kind of represents the positive changes um, that have led to uh, a better understanding and appreciation of trade in North Carolina, it's mine. Um, so if you look at my district, um, it's the second fastest growing district in the United States. It's driven by uh, the pharmaceutical industry and the tech industry and the financial services industry um, that are all located uh, in and around Raleigh, North Carolina and the Research Triangle Park that um, I'm sure you all have all heard of. Um, you know, lots of great growth going on there. Um, and it's also, I was with my Farm Bureau last night, my Sweet Potato Council, and um, <laughs> They didn't have sweet potatoes on the menu, though. I don't know. Maybe they're all tired of them. But at any rate, you look at the agricultural interest in North Carolina, and uh, it's all about trade, too. Um, so, you know, my district, you know, one of the top ten most educated districts in the country, as I said, fast-growing, uh, but it is also the number one tobacco district in the United States. Um, which makes it very interesting. Believe it or not, in North Carolina, we grow more tobacco today than ever before. And I don't know how many of you all were here or participated in the tobacco wars um, back in the day and the tobacco buyout program and so forth, which uh, the theory of that program was that the government would purchase back the allotments, tobacco allotments from all the farmers, which were property rights, and um, the farmers would then use that infusion of capital to go out and find a new cash crop and diversify. Well, the smart farmers in North Carolina looked around after a year or so and they found their new cash crop and it's called more damn tobacco. <laughs> so we grow more tobacco than ever before. 75% is exported mostly to Asia. The, um, and I was so delighted to be in Japan and uh, walk into the hotel um, watering hole there and find that everybody was smoking. Uh, That's great. Uh, <laughs> yeah, everybody, I'm sure there are a few of you here who remember going downstairs in the grill room back pre-band days, the, the conviviality and the conduciveness to deep thoughts and so forth that uh, was down there. Um, you know, the other big crop in the east, and most all tobacco farmers are also sweet potato farmers. The, um, and you think about sweet potatoes for a minute. You know, everybody sees sweet potatoes on the menu now, fried sweet potatoes, being popular everywhere. And it's not because some chef decided to fry sweet potato and it turned out great. Um, it's because at NC State University, um, they developed a new variety of sweet potato that you can actually fry. It used to be you couldn't fry them, but um, now you can fry them. And they also have long shelf lives now, which they used not to. And so sweet potato consumption in Europe is up like 1,800%. So um, 
walk into Fortman Mason, which is a nice department store in London. What do you have? You have Carolina Gold sweet potatoes. It's great. Also, pork. Uh, grow a lot of hogs in North Carolina. And uh, I like to think our farmers are, are smart folks. And what have they done? They've de developed a new type of hog producing what's called silky pork. Now, um, this, this is a hog after my own heart. It's a hog with a higher fat content. And it's especially developed for the Japanese market because they like hogs with a lot more fat in it. It's like Kobe, it's like the Kobe steak of, of pork. And um, so you go into any market in Tokyo and you will find silky pork and it has the picture of two brothers from Wayne County, North Carolina, the um, Louie and Gordon Maxwell, and it's just the most amazing thing to see Louie and Gordon's picture on all these pork products in Tokyo. So you, you lump all that in together, and you see why now trade, you know, TPP is important to North Carolina, um, provides us a lot more opportunities. You know, sure, there are challenges, the um, you know, intellectual property issues, the, um, a lot of our pharmaceutical companies, biologic companies, you know, are very concerned about you know, the lowering of standards in one of these agreements from our standards. You know, why do we have the highest and um, most complete IPR rights in the world in the United States? Well, it's because we're the most creative and inventive country you know, in the world, so we don't want to dumb those down. But all in all, it's a great opportunity. So, sorry for talking. You know, Eric and I thought that Adrian was the pork guy and you were the cigar and whiskey guy. I guess we, we learned something this morning. There you go. There you go. Are you the whiskey guy now? Sure. Why not? Yeah. <laughs>